Welcome to Talk 305. Welcome, I'm Lynn Exline, Superintendent of Salina Public Schools. And today I have the pleasure of visiting with Melinda Jett. Uh, Melinda is a teacher here in Salina at Central High School. She is currently teaching freshmen and seniors and an advanced senior class as well. She, um, her very first year teaching, she was at Roosevelt Lincoln Middle School. And then she spent some years doing some substitute teaching. She was a grant writer um, for the Salina Art Center. And she also worked on her children's church program. But for the last eight years, Melinda has been at Central. Melinda, welcome. Glad that you're here with me today. Thank you, Lynn. Okay, so I, I just have a couple questions for you. And I really want this to be a conversation and for you to just talk to our public a little bit about your experiences since we started this new educational model um, because of having to be doing school at home. And so why don't you just start with what were your very first thoughts when you heard that wouldn't be coming back to our classrooms this year? Well, I really had to think about that because on one aspect that seems like so long ago. And here we are in our last week of school. And um, a little bit just seems like it was yesterday. What was that like when we got that notification? And it was scary. We were told we would not go back to Central High School. And at that time, I remember there were so many unknowns about the virus. And we still have a lot of unknowns. But fortunately for us here in Kansas, we really haven't been as affected as some of our more populous regions. But I remember thinking, well, what if our students get sick? What if our students have to take care of family members who are sick? Mm -hmm. What if our teachers get sick? And I remember, in fact, um, having a meeting about, so what if some of our teachers are sick and they cannot work with their students? And we, um, that actually really factored into how we created our lessons because we wanted to have all ninth graders, all 10th graders, all 11th graders, et cetera, on the same plan. So that if we had some ninth grade teachers get sick, then other ninth grade teachers could take in, could step in and take care of students. And I was thinking, Gosh, there was so much to think about when we first got that notification. We got an email that said, okay, you have this time slot where you can go into your classrooms and you can get whatever materials you might need to set up your home classroom for the last quarter of school. And that day was really emotional. And I was thinking, gosh, there's these empty desks where kids should be. I even, because I'm a planner and we left before spring break, I had my lesson plans up on the board for the Monday we would get back after spring break. And so all of that was ready to go. And I was just grabbing whatever I thought I might need in order to instruct um, the students. Um, but at the same time, I was still... I'm still in that little bit of scared mode of what is this going to look like for everybody. Um, I also was remembering stories from students um, because we were in the fourth quarter. So, you know, your students really well by that time and stories of some 
unstable homes. And I was thinking, you know, what about so-and-so? What about so-and-so? How is this going to work for them? So, you know, while curriculum was on my mind, lesson planning on my mind, it was still probably the student's safety and their health and emotional well-being that was at the forefront. You know, Melinda, I think that's interesting that you say all the different things that went through your mind and how you you know, that kind of grieving process that happened when you went back to the classroom to get your belongings. And I'm, I'm sure it was overwhelming to try to think through what do I need to take with me to be able to deliver coherent, high quality instruction to my students. But even more importantly, what you touched on when you talk about just the overall well-being of students, the health of students, both mental and um, physical health of students, and as a teacher, just how connected you get with making sure kids are okay, both educationally and just emotionally and what was happening to them with that, that abrupt end to school. You know, you talked about leaving and you had your plans on the board and the objectives were ready to go and, and students left in that exact same way. Absolutely. Yeah, it was... It was shocking and, you know, just the uncertainty of not knowing and knowing I have, you know, 110 students um, that I just felt like I, I needed to see. So as you, as you think about that transition to where you were delivering instruction remotely, you know, you were worried about your kids, you were worried about how you were going to teach, you were worried just about what life held, I'm sure, because I know I was, as I was making decisions at the district level for how we would move forward and what kind of structure to provide. What, as you move forward, what was your biggest challenge uh, that you encountered as you started that remote delivery of instruction? Well, I was actually talking to a friend about this recently and her husband is a physician. And I was trying to explain it to her. And I said, you know, think about your husband and he's trying to care for a patient over the Internet, knowing that he is missing the most vital piece of information for his diagnosis. So I was thinking, you know, there are so many examples of online education, but for most of our students, the relationships built in the classroom are vital to their learning and their growth. And that's what we're missing. And so in the classroom, you know, we learn new concepts and ideas together. We struggle together. We laugh together. Sometimes we cry together. We celebrate another's successes. We challenge each other with different opinions. We learn the value of listening and what it means to be an engaged participant. And that is so difficult to engage in, in the online learning atmosphere. So that's what has been the biggest challenge, I think. And I know it's also been a big challenge for our students because they've written to me and told me that they are missing the connectivity and the friendships, not only with their peers, but with the staff. And I think a lot of our students are missing that one relationship or multiple relationships that they see face to face and they know that somebody is rooting for them and somebody believes in their success. You know, I, I'm certain that your students know you are right there with them, even though you're not in the same room. But I think that your point 
that with that internet missing that most vital piece and the relationships, the interactions, the ability to give that immediate feedback on things academic and not, that really is what you see happen in a classroom when you see a really good teacher with students, just kind of that give and take and the flow of the lesson. When we surveyed our parents, one of the things that we heard was that the need for more social interaction, that our families were worried about that for their students. They were worried about their students not being directly in the classroom with teachers and with peers because of that. So it's, you know, I think that that is something that, you know, not just educators are worried about. I think that that is a wider spread concern. About that then, Melinda, how, how have you tried to keep in contact with your students knowing how critically important that is? Well, um, I used Google Classroom before, and so that has been just a lifesaver throughout all of this because um, my students were used to looking at Google Classroom and seeing what was going on. And then email has also been one of our best friends and also a little bit our enemy. So one thing that we've talked about as an English department is um, when we do return, the importance of teaching um, communication. And I know that sounds silly there in high school, but what we've noticed is just email etiquette, um, being able to organize your emails. I've done this lesson the last couple of years with my freshmen, and uh, we were talking about how it's even important for all grade levels and just the importance of solid, concise, kind communication and how to organize your inbox, how to mark something as important. What's a timely, proper response to, re to answer an email? How to complain or request something uh, in an email? Because tone can be so misconstrued in an email or a text. And so that's actually, this is kind of a side note, but that's actually called the sandwich method. And if you have a complaint or a um, negative thing to say, you know, like, well, why did I receive this, you know, D on this assignment or something like that, that you sandwich that between two positives. And then that helps with the tone of your email. And so we've just kind of been talking about the importance when we do return of written communication, because you know, we don't know what's going to happen next school year. And if we do have to go to a format like this or something similar, then um, our students will know um, just better techniques on communicating. And that's just a, a life skill. You know, there's lots of good things that come out of challenging situations. And, you know, you noticing that need to really help kids with their ability to email in the in the work setting, when you're dealing with high school students, you know, we're getting them ready to go to the world of work or to a post-secondary opportunity and the need to be able to communicate effectively in writing. And I, yes, tone is so important and it is really difficult in writing, especially when you are giving um, challenging information, bad news, complaints. I, you know, I think that it will do our students well for us to be teaching how you communicate really solidly, you said, kind, concise communication. Absolutely. I think it's a, a lesson that we all need to know how to do well. And we just thought this is something we really need to emphasize when we do go back. Can you tell me, um, are, can you 
about teaching students writing and um, email and how to handle that more effectively. Is there anything that you're doing now differently in this remote environment that you that you think this is working really well and I will continue to do this? Well, oh my gosh, yes, because um, so South English teachers and Central English teachers have worked so beautifully together throughout this process. And we have partnered up, we have created lessons. And last week, and we've met, um, we have PLCs, so we meet each week with our different grade level teachers. And last week, we had our last meeting with all of the English teachers from both South and Central. And our discussion question was, you know, what kind of revelation have you had throughout this process that you will take back to the classroom? So um, we're, we're thinking about this. And a couple of things for me that kind of um, came to the top was um, our assignments that we're doing with our students, we are providing a piece of text and then doing some comprehension activities and then some critical thinking questions. And then we're providing some student choice. And I'd love to see all of the student choice options. And so, and I didn't, um, I'm sad to say, I didn't do a lot of that in my, you know, teacher handbook before, but I just think that is so important that I bring in that those options for students. So I was thinking, how can I apply this to our curriculum? And as at the freshman level, they are introduced to William Shakespeare. And, you know, typically it's me lecturing about who was Shakespeare? What did he write? What ideas did he present to the English culture of his time? And I was thinking, why do I need to impart this information? Why can't I just pose the question like, why William Shakespeare? Why do we feel like he is still valuable enough, you know, 400 years later to be studying him and give students that choice of, well, what is it that they want to learn more about? And then just saying, well, why is he still relevant? And then posing a looser question like that and allowing the students to use their interests and their skills then to dive into something more. So that's that's one way. And then another way I've been thinking about is just we really purposefully tried to find high interest, relevant pieces of text. And the classics are so important because, you know, those authors wrote something then that we still need to hear today. But why can't we pair some of these classics with something that is um, more accessible for our young people? So that's another area where I'm really going to try and focus on next year is, you know, how can I find these pieces that are um, highly engaging for our young people? And, and education is tricky because it's, it's part about, you know, imparting the knowledge of the past and it's part about exciting students for their future. And then it's marrying kind of those two ideas with skills and standards and um, working to um, develop these young people into contributing knowledgeable citizens. So I'm just trying to think, you know, how can I use what, you know, this time to make me a better teacher in the fall? I appreciate how you're really trying to see 
through the lens of a high school student and what it is that motivates students the age that you teach to learn and to commit to the content. Because I, I do think that there is beauty in trying to pair some of those classics with some um, pieces from today so that students see connections and that they do learn an appreciation for where we've been and that I, I think that that just brings a real depth to instruction. And so I think it's it, it's nice that you're seeing that and, and pointing that out. I wanna ask you, because I'm asked this a lot and especially from parents of high school students, many parents are concerned about missing nine weeks of school, about the, whether or not my, you know, will my student be ready for 11th grade? Will my student be ready for college? I've missed nine full weeks in the classroom, and I know that you've provided solid instruction during that interim, but I also know that my child's missed some things. And so what would you say to reassure them right now? Well, this one's tough, I think, and I, I'm, I'm just going to be honest. We missed curriculum, and we missed some learning. Um, and I guess the reassuring aspect is everyone did. I mean, it wasn't just Salina or it wasn't just Kansas. It was across the world. Our young people missed out on some, you know, vital learning opportunities in the last nine weeks as as um, hard as we tried um, for them not to. They did. And I and I but I also don't think we would be able to defend the work that we do as teachers if we said that it wasn't concerning that we missed out on some of our educational school year. However, um, students who value their education still learned throughout this. And some students um, we found did really, really high quality work during this time. I had one student, you know, and she was getting 18s out of 20s, 19s out of 20s, and she would email me, what can I do? What can I do to get that 20? What can I do to be better? She's still learning. You know, I had other students go back and redo assignments because I would, you know, write in my comments, you are capable of more than this. You know, why don't you try this approach? Why don't you try this approach? And they would go back in and redo assignments. So um, the learning is, was still happening, but definitely something was missed. Um, and, and on a more practical side, I know that Central High School voted to return a day early in the fall to have this very conversation. You know, what were the vital components that we weren't able to um, address during this last quarter? And where do we need to begin to make sure that our students aren't missing something that we need to build on with them? And then I think of my good um, teacher colleagues and there's not a single one of them that I know will not work, you know, twice as hard this summer, looking at their curriculum, rewriting lessons, looking at what standards might have been missed from the spring semester, and really working on what they need to do in the fall. So our, our, we just have such wonderful teachers here in USD 305, and I just know that student learning and student growth is going to be at the top of their mind this summer, and so they're going to be addressing that with our young people. You know what, Melinda, I appreciate your honesty. Uh, I, you know, I agree with you that there, we did have missed learning opportunities. And 
we, I know that our teachers did their very best to provide the highest quality education given the circumstances to our students. I also know and would echo what you say on the commitment of our teachers and that this will be heavy on hearts and minds this summer as everyone is trying to figure out how, how do we fill in those holes? How do we support students knowing that this is the way the year ended? And I know that I, I would agree, we'll be ready for students and whatever the fall holds. And I think that that's, I think that's just a really positive thing about educators. We're, we're willing to be flexible. Um, I've seen that with our staff, um, certainly saw that with Central High faculty and staff, just being willing to do that extra for students. So I, I wanna thank you for, for joining me today. And, um, and I, I really do appreciate your time. Thank you for having me, Lynn. With that, you can learn more about Salina Public Schools at our website, usd305.com, or by following us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram.